0: Welcome to Equiocity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia.
1: So, Dominique, what are we going to talk about today? Today, I want to talk about control and counter-control. So you you may wonder why is she thinking about that right now? Okay.
0: Well do so you want to start out by defining them?
1: Well, um, yeah. So we know that, well, I'm gonna talk about it a little bit later. Okay. okay? Well, I'm gonna define it later, but I just want to tell you why why I'm coming up with this this week. Okay. So I was watching the news last week, and there was a segment where someone from the Montreal police force, or actually a few policemen, came out to say that from now on, whenever they see an incident with people of color, they're going to look the other way because they don't want to get into trouble. Because you know, Alex, what's been happening in the States ever since George Floyd's uh, violent death, has raised questions everywhere, everywhere on the planet. I mean, these, these things are happening all over the place. And looking back at the relationship between the public and the police force over the past few months and years even, I can't help but think, what a great illustration of control and counter-control. So we've had, if we start with George Floyd's violent death yes so we had you know very coercive and violent behavior from the police then we had all the mega manifestations in the streets and the movements advocating for defunding the police yes and now we have police members threatening to disengage and not do the job that you know we're we're asking them to do yeah. so it's a great you know it's that spiral of when you apply coercion well counter control is one of the most prominent side effects of coercion when the person being punished is captive if they cannot escape or if they cannot avoid the punishment they will find a way to manage the situation they will learn to control their controller and so i was thinking about all that and of course you know every time i have questions about punishment and the side effects of punishment I always go to my book, my preferred book. You've heard me talk about this book on numerous mm-hmm. occasions, Murray Sidman's Corrosion and its Fallout book. So of course I went back to my my one of those one of my preferred books, and and you know Alex, that this book it it has really helped me when I was surrounded by traditional trainers during you know I, when I couldn't understand what I was seeing. It has really helped me see what was happening then and so when i when i have questions about punishment and i i always go back there and um you know it's this book it was written in the 80s but it's still very relevant i want to read you something because at the end of the book he has a few chapters options of positive reinforcement in society and there's a whole section on law enforcement and when you read what he writes about law enforcement, it's like he was watching the news with me last week. You know? So let me just read you this this little passage. He says, the police is for the most part an instrument of coercion. As they become more severely coercive, ever-widening segments of the public are beginning to view them less as protectors than as shocks and signals for shocks to be escaped from, avoided, and even to be treated as objects of counter-aggression. The police have only been doing what the majority of the taxpayers have asked them to do, but like all coercive systems, this one too has generated the usual side effects. Increasing coercive pressure is causing many citizens in all economic and social classes to fear and mistrust the police the gulf is widening. In reaction to communities growing mistrust, the police become ever more hostile toward those they're supposed to protect. The public begins to forget it needs police for protection and the police begins to forget they are supposed to be protectors. Urban police are coming to direct their energies less toward protection of the citizens and more toward guarding themselves against public hostility. And I feel this is very true at the moment, you know, that there's this big gap, there's big mistrust that the relationship between the police and the public is deteriorating. And, you know, like he says, it's typical of coercion because, so just to define coercion, coercion, as he defines it, and it's very simple, we'll we'll all understand that, is control through negative reinforcement and punishment. So that that's how he defines coercion. And, and so what he what he says and what has been shown is that when punishes are confined or restricted and cannot get away, coercion will inevitably produce counter-control. The, the punishy will learn how to control their controllers. And you see this in school, you know, when when uh, children are punished for not learning their lessons, they'll manage the situation, they, their counter control may not always be aggressive, you know, it's not always overt aggression, I mean, sometimes they'll pretend they're ill, but it's a way to to, to gain back control, they're, or they'll really become ill. They may distract other people and disrupt the whole class so that the teacher can no longer pinpoint who's the troublemaker. The they, the, if The class clown. The yeah. class clown. Yeah. If if the, the school is very repressive, they may come at night and put the place on fire or do some vandalism. And even in the extremes, I mean, we know they can come in with a gun and shoot the teachers and, and some of their the other students so uh, you see it in prison sometimes you don't know is it the guards or the prisoners who are controlling the place you see it in the family you know children find all kinds because children cannot escape and so they find all kinds of ways to counter control you know you see it of course in in um repressive countries and Sometimes, you know, the counter control eventually will succeed. It may take a long time, but you know, it, it's it's inevitable. You know that the control will always breed counter control. And you wonder, you know, because we know uh, all the side effects, you know, that that uh, punishment and that negative reinforcement, We know that it creates like this revolt. We know it creates so much happiness, so much misery, depression, fear, aggression. And some of those um, side effects can last a long, long time, even once the punishment is no longer there. We've talked about this before already. So, you know, you wonder why why do we do it you know why do we accept it as this thing that you know we can't do without in society there's no other way we need punishment it's always been there and he explains the prevalence of punishment is because he says we're creatures of the moment And so we, he says, if you want to know what's the reinforcer, you know, if you want to know why something is happening, look at what the reinforcement is. And so ask the question, what happens right, right after the punishment? And what usually happens right after the punishment is that the undesired behavior stops. And so we see like the direct effect right there in that is our reinforcer for punishment and that the
0: punisher feels powerful and in control he does and short term short term right? short, short term in, it works in that moment you feel you feel very much and particularly if you have been out of control i think that's one of the places you know if we bring it back to the horse world one of the reasons that punishment is so prevalent in the horse world, is because people get very scared by horses. You know, the horse scares you. The horse uh, spooks at something and jumps into your space or under saddle you, the horse uh, spooks and you almost fall off, but you, you know, and then you're afraid. And so you uh, go after the horse and your adrenaline is up and you're swinging a, lead rope or whatever it is at the horse and the horse is backing down and in that moment you feel very powerful and in control where a moment ago you were feeling very afraid and out of control right and so those, those emotions that the use of punishment gets magnified and this is one of the reasons that you know if we go way back way back when When I, in those very first video exposures to clicker training that I saw, and one of them was of the African bull elephant from the San Diego Zoo. And this was a pilot program that was being run um, at the San Diego Zoo. Gary Priest, who was the director of training at the time, they had an elephant named Chico. And if I were, you know, I keep thinking, if I were an African bull elephant named Chico, I'd want to attack my keepers too.
1: <laughs> very dignified. Well, with. that's counter control too. I mean, these captive animals.
0: Yeah. So, so, so this elephant had gone after hmm. his keepers on a number of occasions to the point where no one was allowed to go into his enclosure with him. So he hmm. had not had any foot care for something like ten years, and so Gary was doing a very early pilot program to see if clicker training would work, and they used targets to teach his elephant to uh, turn and orient and, and orient to the, to his gate, where they have these little openings in his gate cut so he could lift a foot up and present it through one of these openings for foot care. And in the video, this elephant is has put his foot through and the keeper is uh, running a hose over his foot and is beginning to file and and Gary makes the statement, "I can't, I can't express to you enough how aggressive this elephant was," and he's standing here, all for a bucket of food treats and the social attention. And to me, that was just profoundly important to to hear this and to see it, because I couldn't help but think what this would have looked like if it had been a horse. It would have been three men and a boy holding this horse down, you know, the um, twitch, the hop, you know, whatever it is, the, the, the response at that time would have been make the horse do it. And bringing the clicker training in, bringing this other way of thinking into the horse world and saying, There are alternatives. And yes, we are working with a large, potentially dangerous animal. We're working with an animal that can can hurt us. They, They can kick out at us, they can bite us, they can run us over because they are afraid. And the answer historically has been to be tougher you know, to show them who's boss, to to make them so afraid of us that they would not dare to come into our
1: space, and and in that moment they they probably stop. So it creates the illusion, yes, yes, that you are really solving the problem, yeah, right. where in reality you're just you're going to see up. this problem come up later, more serious. Because they're all the
0: stories of. You know, people who say, oh, you know, I have my horse is so nice, he's so lovely. And then out of the blue, he whacked me off. Well, the point of this is that we've been learning alternatives. Yes. We've been learning. So, what the horse, for me, the horses are like a, a training ground or metaphor for or place to discover that. This other way, you know, when you say, "Why is it so prevalent?" Everywhere you look, there's aversive control. Yeah, everywhere you look, you you turn in any direction, and there's aversive control.
1: Yeah,
0: um, and why is it so prevalent? And how do we
1: change it? Because we need to change it. We do because, and you know, um, he. In, in, um, in the book, one of the things he, um, he talks about the myth that we think that it's either we control behavior by punishment or there is no control. Yes. Whereas he says that's not true. We know positive reinforcement controls behavior just as coercion does just as punishment or negative reinforcement does we can control behavior behavior is always controlled by something there is no there's no other option there's always something controlling behavior so we have to decide is it going to be coercion or is it going to be positive reinforcement that's and and although we may have the illusion in the moment that the punishment has worked, we have to take into account the longer term effects, the money it will cost, the suffering it will cost, the the general unhappiness it causes. And of course, in in the, you know, when you think about the police, and that's one of the reason why I took this example, you feel like, well, come on, I mean, That's what they do, police is coercion, you know? But he suggests that we can tip the the balance more and he gives, and he says, you know, this will take social experimentation. It will not be easy. I mean, you know, the police being what it is, um, it will not be easy. But let me just read you a little, another little paragraph where, He comes to present to us different positive reinforcement options in the police, Um, and I know there are many experimentations going on in Europe right now, but let me just read you this, although positive reinforcement is not a traditional police function it is not hard to come up with new possibilities once one has become accustomed to thinking that way. Because he says too, you know, it seems easy to punish. You don't need any special training to punish. It's really easy to give a slap. Whereas in order to apply the positive reinforcement, you need some training, but it can become very easy and very second nature once you've been exposed to it. So Of course, there will be practical difficulties, but if one maintains the experimental attitude, then one abandons unsuccessful practices or better, modifies them until they do work. We have good reason to believe that reinforcement for keeping within the law would work in many instances as effectively as the current system of waiting until the law is broken and then punishing. And this time, you would have all the side effects of positive reinforcement. Police cars would signal not fear and apprehension, but anticipation of friendly and rewarding encounters. As dispenser of positive reinforcement, the police would generate not avoidance, but approach, not fear, but cheer, not hostility, but friendliness. We might see a reestablishment of public trust and confidence in our protective institutions. I mean, you know, some people will say, oh, come on, this is utopia. (laughs) And he says himself, you know, he says it would be simplistic not to think that there are economic and political influences on the law enforcement institutions. And it is complex, but he says this should not discourage us because the law enforcement is, you know, relationships between people. And it's a social process and the behavioral laws govern those interactions. And we know about those laws. And so why not try to tip the balance more towards positive reinforcement a little bit. And, you know, he gives some examples like, uh, he says, you know, you have all these police sponsored events like the, the, the athletic things. And he said, well, why not do also baking competitions sponsored by the police in agricultural fairs. And, you know, he, he gives different examples. And then he talks about, you know, the, the when the police, they do uh, give us all the speeding tickets when we don't, we, when we speed or they give us tickets when we don't put our seat belts on or when we talk on the phone. Well, he said, what if the police started catching people obeying the law? What if you know, one day you're stopped at a red light and the police comes and he gives you free concert tickets because you've been not speeding, <laughs> you've been respecting the law. You know, in terms of that, think about how easy that would be these
0: days, because there are cameras everywhere. Exactly. They could send you the tickets. Every time that your car registered as having stopped correctly, you yep. earned five points. Sure. And then, when you've earned a certain number of points, you get free entry
1: to the museum,
0: or um, <laughs> gas rebate, a tank of gas, <laughs> or yeah, yeah, some you know you, that some reinforce some positive reinforcer, and maybe you could even choose it. So they could give you options. Do you want a tank of gas? Do you want to pass to the town park? Do you want you know what is it that you would like that would be available to give? And so instead of passing out the speeding tickets, which, all right, maybe they still have to do that because people do silly things, but it, there, there are so many ways of implementing it. And if Big Brother's going to watch us, it would be nice if, if, we got, if we felt that we were going to earn positive reinforcement rather than always looking over our
1: shoulders. And, you know, it's, again, you know, we've been talking about the the constructional approach uh, in the last podcast. Yep. It's always the same thing. You know, are you going to punish what you don't like or are you going to encourage what you do like? Yep. Um, it's we're, we're always back to the same principle. Yep. And it's just so interesting for me to look at these things happening all around us all the time. Yes the constructional approach one of
0: the things that that really means is that we we want to meet the
1: needs of both parties well you know in the book he says we should also look at establishing positive reinforcement to recognize desirable behaviors from the police yes you know they we need to show them their are appreci- our appreciation too it's you know it's it you, it works both ways in in both directions. Yeah. I don't know if that's what you meant, but well, it, it, you know it's because some of this and some of the reasons that
0: some of these uh, some of these I uh, programs fail is because they're very superficial. Right. They don't they so, don't tend to the needs. That's what you were going to. Yeah. So yes, it would it, if we're going to have cameras monitoring traffic better that I I think I'm going to earn points every time I stop well at the record light rather than thinking that I might get a ticket because oh oops I, I misjudged the timing on that yellow light but I'm you know my my intentions were all good. It's it's much deeper than that. It's meeting the needs.
1: Yeah and there's a need for safety for sure.
0: And but also like you, you brought up the you know George Floyd and when we look at this whole, the Black Lives Matter movement, that this is a deep, deep wound. Yeah. And that meeting the needs when it is a generational wound, we have to really look at, you know, what is needed? What are the societal changes that are needed that will reduce the, the, the tension and the, the economic disparities and the, the closed doors so that you can't move forward and and improve your life because the barriers are real and the barriers are there. So there's, when we start looking at things from a constructional perspective, that it's recognizing the other and it's saying, what do you need? So when we are working with horses And again, there's that metaphor. And there are things that we want. We want to ride. You know, we want our horse to be available to us when we go to the barn. And I've paid an enormous amount on board. And you horse are, yes, I love you dearly, but I want to ride. That is my need. Well, am I I looking at even thinking about my horse's need. Does that come into my thinking? Does that come into the equation? Well, I've made him happy. His saddle fits and I fed him. He should be happy. Well, but, you know, have you really looked at and asked him what his needs are and what he wants in the moment? And so when we start, I think, Part of what we're learning through all of this work that we do with the horses is to really think of the other and to include that in the equation, you know, so that it's not just one sided or, or it's not superficial. You know, I'm, it's one of my people said once when she was really struggling with her horse, but I feed her carrots. She should love me. Mm but the rest of the time she was being so confusing that Mm -hmm. her horse just it's like could I please get away from you yeah yeah Yeah. it does confuse me so you know it's it's sometimes it's uh we're too you know we we have to look deeper we have to dig deeper that uh we can think that we're satisfying and meeting the needs of of the horse but especially horses because they're they're so good at hiding. And you can have a horse that is really physically uncomfortable and that is struggling to do what you want. It can be hard to spot lamenesses. They're there. When you really look, you say you start looking and you say, oh, ooh, what was that step we just saw? I mean, that's one of the things that is really coming to light in the virtual clinics because we're getting these we're doing the, the clinics via sh- very short videos and people were sending in two or three minute videos but within that that time frame you'll see oh you know what was that step that that horse just took oh you know let's watch the way that that horse turns or or you see the the catch in the stifle this is something that we need to be looking at. And because we've captured it on video, we can look at it. We can look at it again. We can ask vets about it. And and we start recognizing that some of the reason that we're getting the resistance in the horse is not because we're not being clear, but because he physically is struggling. Mm -hmm. And then there's this frustration of... And it's a, I think it's a grieving process when you start recognizing that this horse that you've been dreaming of riding, you may not be able to ride because, mm-hmm. because he hurts, basically. Or, or you're going to have to do a lot of work to get him to the point where he's comfortable in his body again. And it's quite a process when you start shifting your focus from the old paradigm of control and I will control you till you explode. Which is co- what, you know, we, historically what we see. We will control this population. We will suppress it and suppress it and suppress it. And then at some point it explodes.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's history. Yep. Or. That's, that's counter control. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. Or yeah. we, can, we can say, all right, we're learning this other way of thinking. Now let's see if we can't imagine how, because that's what it takes. If all of us who are exploring the positive reinforcement, it just means that we need to start imagining Mm. a, a, a different way of interacting with one another.
1: First of all, not to accept punishment as inevitable, that, you know, it's either punishment or chaos. Not yeah. true. No. We know this now. Right. We know that there are options where we can control behaviors with positive reinforcement and not have all the side effects right. of the punishment. And I don't want to make the, because the, I don't want to make it too superficial that, that that section on the law enforcement because there's a whole discussion in the book about um, gun control and you know, it's not just about sponsoring cookie shows. Although, you know, when he talks about the Athletic League sponsored, he does see it as preventing delinquency by reinforcing desirable behavior. you know, instead of just waiting for the problem later, that already when when the people are younger and you encourage them in sports, um, and that the police is there not to, you know, as a positive, uh, reinforcer dispenser. That it, it's not just a PR activity, you know. That it's 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 prevention. And we see this. I mean, here I know in Montreal we have special cells that have no guns on them. They do community work, and there are some experimentations going on. And I think that's very positive. You know, and like like uh, Sidman says, some of them may not because you need data, it's not just a feel good activity, you need data, you need to see what happens to um, uh, violence, does it increase, does it stay the same, you know, what's the impact of these experimentations and I don't want to get into this, but I was looking at uh, a few of those experiments in Europe and some people have been really doing the work. You know, They have really been collecting the data, looking at what happens to violence. Are there more police death, more death in the community? And so there are people out there who are doing this work. The answer also cannot be, well,
0: I as a police person, I disengage. I disengage. I'm going yeah. to see I see something where yeah. there there needs to be some form of intervention. Yeah.
1: But I'm oh, I'm not gonna risk. No. Well, you know, the thing is they used to have their guns at their belt and everything was happening outside of the public scrutiny, but now people have their iPhone in their pockets. And so that's the counter tool, right? Against your gun, I have my iPhone, I'm going to film you. And so that's where the counter control came, it came with the phone. Because now they're being filmed. And that is what is getting them into trouble, because people can observe, and it'll go all around the planet. And so they don't want to uh, get into trouble and they prefer to look the other way and i'm pretty sure i've heard this ha- this is happening in the states too have you heard comments like this in the states that people that policemen are saying okay then well we'll just disengage we no, won't we won't be uh
0: i have not heard oh no no but uh that doesn't mean that it's not happening i just
1: it just hasn't crossed my because right. i i hear i was i was look i was uh, listening to a a panel one day and they were saying you know every time that an incident, there's a scandal like George Floyd there's always a reaction from the police similar to this where they say well okay then you know we disengage so again you know it's it's always that control counter control counter counter control but and i'm not surprised you know i can understand that they would react this way I can understand yeah, it yeah absolutely
0: I mean I can't I cannot imagine how hard it must be right now to be in law there's you know and there's even a word to be in law enforcement they, they need to change the name because even the name is because we're enforcing things
1: yeah um, and you know what what happens is because people are starting to despise the police now good people don't want to go in the police anymore. And so this is not good. You need good people in the police. You don't want you know people saying, well, there's no esteem. it's not an esteemed job anymore. Right. you know people don't respect the police. they don't they don't seem to appreciate the work that is being done. I'm going to do something else with my life, you know. So and that's not what you want. You want good people there. It's very important. It's so. interesting that you're talking about this today
0: because last night... Uh, <laughs> well, it was on the news last week. <laughs> right. Well, it's not that. It's just that last night I was out planting seeds and I was in sight of the road that's in front of the barn. And it's a busy road. It's, um, it's a very busy road. And directly across the street from the barn, there's the state police barracks. So it's a well policed well-monitored road but people go really fast on it okay and a police car had pulled over uh somebody and i don't know what he was doing but they pulled him over and and they had him get out of the car and we watched and i was really and what i only did (laughs) which you
1: might not have done
0: Exactly, because so yeah. I was not only observing what they were doing, but I was observing what I was thinking, right. and how much the events of this past year mm. have altered how I was watching this event, and right. that, and this is not a good thing. This is not a good
1: Well, question. it's good to raise the questions, I think, you know, because this was happening maybe before we would just were not seeing it. And I think it's good to raise the questions and have the discussion.
0: That's another of the horse parallels, because in a, you know, the show world, in the training world, you'll have a trainer who's very rough with a horse and he'll do it in public and there'll be A backlash you know Mm -hmm. that's just terrible terrible we don't we don't want that we don't you know that's not allowed right so you can't do that on the showgrounds you can't you know you can't have a bad run and then whip your horse because he didn't do what you wanted
1: but everybody's doing
0: it backstage (laughs) but everybody's doing it behind the barn and that's that's the you know what we don't want is so we've got the body cams and we've got the cell phones, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want this to become one of those situations where by squeezing it in one area, it goes underground and out of sight and becomes even I more dangerous. So yeah, just as with the horses, you can't take something away without putting something else in its place. Yeah. I can't say to somebody, Don't hit your horse. You know, he just bit you, but don't hit your horse unless I can put something in place of.
1: Yeah. Well, it's the same with the police, you know, get rid of your gun. Now you're weaponless and go arrest all these people who do have weapons. Yes. So you can't take something away without putting something else in its
0: place. And I, you know, I don't have the wisdom, the experience, the anything to say, what should be done in terms of policing or these larger societal movements. But I do know that there is a lot that can be learned from what we are learning in the positive reinforcement world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's it's the kind of thing that before, had I not had all these years of hearing about behavior analysis, of hearing about punishment, negative reinforcement, the side effects of it, I would not have seen it the way I'm seeing it today. Yeah. And I think I'm seeing it with a clearer eye, not saying like you, you know, that the solutions are easy. But again, to think that there is no other way, I, I think that we do have options. And to understand that behavior is always being controlled by something i think that's key you know to know that positive it's not that there will be nothing controlling anymore not true that's not that's not what's going to be happening it's either going to be a coercive control or a non-coercive control and we have to choose you know as a society what kind of environment are we trying to create for ourselves. And so I think the debate is good in that sense, you know, to open it up. And in a way, it's, you know, that, that counter control, we build it into our social life, it's part, it's a balance, you know, we, we always make sure that because we entrust a lot of power to some people like the police and the and some institution and regulatory um agencies, et cetera, et cetera. And when these people, if they abuse the trust, well, there's already a built-in counter control mechanism in there. We can vote people out, we will let both conservative and liberal voices be expressed. We don't suppress the debate. We, we let people express themselves because we want the control and the counter control. in a way, you know, it's been embedded in there so that we have we can't take we have to trust some people to take care of this, right. And so it's important to have the countermeasures in case it's being abused. Because there's, you know, you can, and you can abuse it, knowing all the laws of behavior, you know, you can become quite ruthless, and abuse these laws too. And so it's good to have a mechanism to to counteract that. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's interesting to look at all these, um, these laws unfolding in front of our eyes all the time. Yes.
0: Yeah. Say, Oh, Yes, gravity is holding all of us to this. That's planet. right. <laughs> yes,
1: at all levels.
0: At all levels. Yeah, and yeah. yes, and just as gravity is holding all of us to this planet, the laws of behavior work.
1: They do, and and we have to kind of be aware that we are creatures of the moment; that we tend to. Uh, look at immediate effect and sometimes forget about longer-term effect, but that we should really, really look at the longer-term effects because they are real. Um, You know, it's been so, so documented. They are real. And so you think you suppress something now, but it'll come up later more serious and will create so much misery along the line on top of it. So you know there are so many reasons to take the longer view and think about what do we want to create around us, and after all these years seeing the side effects of positive reinforcement with our own eyes over and over and over again, I mean we have to look at that path for society too.
0: When you feel the the joy of it,
1: mm. uh, the release of it. And even for the punisher, because you know, when you when you deliver shock all the time with this counter control that is always inevitable, well, what you're constantly doing then is you have to protect yourself against the future shocks coming to you. That's not a very happy life.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting interesting way of thinking about it. So
1: even if you want for selfish reasons. To have a good life. Know that when you exert coercive control, you're gonna to have to fight counter control down the road and it won't be fun.
0: You know, it reminds me of how Aunt Edie, who has described the relationship that she had with the guide dogs versus the relationship that she has with Panda, who's the her miniature horse who is her guide. And Panda was trained with positive reinforcement. And her guide dogs were trained and they were trained well, but they were, aversive control was definitely used. And with her second guide dog, when the trainers came to evaluate her handling skills, the first thing they asked Anne, the first thing they they wanted was for her to show them her correction. Mm. Show us how you can take that lead And really let that dog know he's made a mistake. And then when she was handling the German Shepherd, she would say, you know, I always felt like I had to be the policeman. I Hmm. was always on the lookout for what they're doing wrong. Right. And the stress level was intense. And with Panda, there's none of that. You're just celebrating with her all the things that she's doing right. Yeah and it's such a complete completely different experience and the reality of it you know it goes back to the those expressions that when they talk about when you're when the control is aversive you will do whatever it takes however much it takes to avoid the the aversive but you will not go beyond that so whatever it whatever effort I need to put in to avoid the shock is what I will put in but I'm not going to give you one smidgen more. but with positive reinforcement, I'll go way above and beyond
1: yeah and but there are also situations where you know the the subject cannot escape or avoid you know there there are times when this happens too and this is when, the counter control, uh, comes in play yeah. because if you can avoid it, most likely that's what you'll do, you know, but sometimes people feel they cannot, you know, they're in a marriage and they don't see they can get out, whatever, you know, there are all kinds of situations and, and in animals too. So that's where the counter control and, and in the case of, I think the 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 Black Lives Matter manifestation people felt like there was no escape, you know, that it could not be avoided, and so this is why they try to manage to do to regain control. Right. So that was that was my subject for today. I have to stop watching the news because I come up with all these weird topics. <laughs> well, I
0: think they're good topics. <laughs> they do relate back to the horses and. They relate back to my point of what people discover when they start exploring the positive reinforcement is that it opens up alternatives for the relationships that they have with people. Yeah, they it start spills
1: thinking, over in your life. Yeah, oh, you
0: know, yeah. That's, that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so if we start thinking collectively about what are some of the alternatives, if what you're doing isn't working, you know, it's that whole thing, if, if what you're doing isn't working, if you're digging a hole, stop digging, you know, right. throw the shovel away, stop digging. So if we're digging a hole, don't dig it deeper. If what you're doing isn't working, let's go try something else. And I think what we're doing with the positive reinforcement is we are exploring some alternatives because it's st- what we've all had we've all have modeled plenty of aversive control we're good at it we know how to do it as as a a society as individuals yeah Uh, we have lots of experience we have thousands of years of experience uh, with it but there are also cultures that have equally have had a long history of kind relationships in which the active use of aversives is not prevalent. So it is possible. And it's certainly what we're seeing with the horses is it's possible. So we'll just all have a think and see, you know, within our own lives, you know, that's the, I think that would be the challenge that we're throwing out this week is to look at, you know, for people to listen to the news, but now to listen to it with that ear, you know, with, listen to it, from that, the perspective of a positive reinforcement teacher.
1: Okay. <laughs> so just to remind people if ever they haven't heard in the in previous podcasts, so the book I was talking about is Coercion and its Fallout. It's Murray Sidman. For me, it's been a key book. Yeah, it's made me understand lots of stuff. so yes. It's a great read. It's a read you can go back to often. It, it may not be an easy read, but I think it's, it's really worth it. It's,
0: it's definitely a classic. It's definitely yeah. one of the books that should be on everyone's bookshelf. Yeah. With lots of dog-eared corners and underlying paragraphs.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I know many of us head to our horses to get away from the news. And here we have let the so-called real world intrude into this podcast. I have to say, I for one am delighted that Dominique brought this subject up. I think we have so much to learn from the horses. Change for the better, whatever that means to you, begins with understanding. And that's where our horses come in. They help us to understand the underlying dynamics and they let us practice alternatives that can help us find fresh solutions to the problems we're trying to untangle. As you mull over this podcast, who knows what connections you may find, what new solutions you may see as you think about what you've been learning from your horses. So anyway, next week, we'll be changing gears completely. I have an announcement to make, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll have to wait until next week's podcast to find out. So thank you for listening and have fun with your horses.